Alright everybody, welcome back. I am so sorry that I was late on my um, message on yesterday. I know I said usually Fridays I give out the, the sermon and everything. Um, or my lesson, debating on whether you look at it. Um, here's the, uh, the thing. It's today, um, or I'm going to put it this way. Uh, my brother ended up coming up from Florida for the past two weeks, and um, <clears throat> it's just been kind of hectic, so I didn't have much time to um, give this message out. However, I did find time within today to give the message, and uh, that's what I'm going to do. Now, um, I am uh, going to be giving a message on um, Yeshua versus Jesus, um, and I'm going to explain how we see the Savior's name and how it changed from Yeshua to Jesus. Um, I see a lot of people that will argue and get mad if we call him Yeshua, or other people that get mad if we call him Jesus, and it's, um, it, it's just really interesting, and I just wanted to give this, um, you know, lesson to people so they understand um, the different versions between um, Hebrew and Aramaic and Greek and Latin and English and so on. So, a lot of people, they, um, they look at Jesus and uh, Christ as, you know, the Lord and Savior of, you know, this world, the Messiah. And Messiah, um, basically meaning, you know, uh, Deliverer, Savior. Um, basically, um, it, it was, it's, in the noun term, it's used as the uh, prophesied Deliverer of the Jewish nation and the Hebrew Bible. Um, now, a lot of uh, Jewish people, they never recognize Jesus um, or Yeshua as the Messiah. They looked at him as a person that, you know, some of them saw him as the Messiah. Other people didn't. Um, the Sanhedrin and uh, the Pharisees did not see him as that. They thought that it was heresy, that he was speaking these things, that he was the Son of God, that he was, um, you know, the Son of Man, the, the foregoing person that is from the lineage of da King David, that um, he was prophesied in the book of Isaiah and... In Daniel, um, it speaks as the Son of Man will inherit the kingdom of heaven. As we go into this, the Pharisees and the um, Sanhedrin, they really disliked this. But he was creating all these miracles that nobody could explain, you know. And when we go back all the way to the very beginning of the Bible in uh, Exodus, we see Moses doing all these miracles but all these miracles were of God. And even Jesus, or Yeshua, has stated, you know, these are, uh, this is the will of my Father. <clears throat> so, 
to first understand his name, we need to understand he is the Messiah. Um, so as we continue through this, um, you know, uh, throughout, you know, his life, the Messiah's life, uh, time he was in Galilee, Samaria, Judea, um, it presented, you know, no problem for people who spoke Ara Aramaic, um, you know, in Hebrew, um, um, outside of Jerusalem or the Holy Land, you know, anytime that was outside of it, you know, he could speak it, you know, and he, it became a different story as the good news spread. Anybody who tried to learn foreign languages always has difficult uh, difficulties. I am trying to learn Hebrew and Greek, and I'm going to tell you right now, it is some of the hardest things I have ever tried to do. Um, in fact, as I was reading one of the King James um, scriptures, there was a, a, a passage that came in there. Um, I can't remember the book exactly. I think, don't quote me, I think it was um, Zechariah, and they were talking about incense. And in that term, there was a, a, a thing that was deciphered in um, the language as incense. But the, the Hebrew term looked different than the other Hebrew terms for incense. So I was curious. So I went around and I was trying to figure out anybody who could, you know, explain to me why this one term of incense was different than these other terms of incense. And then they explained it was a mistranslation. Um, that ver uh, that part of incense didn't mean incense as in like uh, like lighting a candle. It meant like complaining. They will complain to the Lord. They will complain to the Jewish God. And it doesn't. I, I think I had a um, a message that relayed relayed that prior. Um, so yeah, you know, um, that's just kind of like an explanation to how advanced or how difficult the language can be. And I don't know if people know Aramaic, but I don't know if you've seen that, but it literally looks like you're looking at skyscrapers, you know? And then you see, like, little planes flying above them with the little dots and stuff. It is a very, very interesting-looking language, and it's beautiful, beautifully written, but I, I can't understand it, you know? So Aramaic might be my next one that I will learn after I learn Hebrew and then Greek. But the Gospels were written in Greek. Uh, aside from the uh, the book of Mark, which has been said to have most of it being written in Hebrew. Or, you know. Um, so the real problem is how they render, uh, rendered the Lord's name acceptable in Greek. The initial Y in Hebrew and Aramaic um, letter, Yod, was easy. The evangelists could utter um, different parts of it, written I, since it was pronounced the Y in it. Um, but 
when the letters of the Aramaic and Hebrew alphabet, um, they have more consonants and they're marked more as vowels and they're not invented um, as the same kind of language that um, the Greeks and, um, you know, the uh, Latin languages, you know, had. Um, those centuries uh, after the Messiah were simple like dots and dashes that were placed around the letters and they couldn't like you know it was all just different and the Savior's name was pronounced like the E in yes so they believed it could be of the approximate uh, sound using the closest Greek letter and which would be I or A uh, EI sound uh, and it'd be like an A in the uh, the gate the capital of the Greek letter um, uh, looks uh, just like our English letter. Um, but when um, it followed almost um, a different amount of problems um, with the, tra uh, the pronunciation of Hebrew and Aramaic, there was no letter for the sh sound in the Greek alphabet. As familiar, the name Solomon was actually uh, Sholomo, or that's uh, the best way I can pronounce it in Hebrew. Samson was Shim, uh, Shimeshon, you know. Uh, Samuel was Shemiel. Um, like the Greek translators of the Old Testament, um, the Hebrew names the evangelist could only use uh, the evangelist only used the Greek sigmas for the Hebrew shin, which was the sh sound, rendering the Messiah's name. So as we go into the Aramaic name of Yeshua, the Hebrew uh, was the Hebrew letter wa or W A W which was V-A-V, um, it represents the sound O-O, you know, as in two, like me too. And it was easy for the evangelist to duplicate that sound. In Greek, it took two letters. Um, the Omicron and the Upsilon, the O and the U, were easy to substitute but they had other problems. There is no substitute in the Hebrew letter A-N. Um, though the A-N had no sound of its own, it controls the vowel sound. In this case, the A uh sound at the end of Yeshua was easily sounded in Greek as uh, in Greek or Latin as in A in father. The final A on the name, however, was the most commonly feminine on both Greek and Latin, at, as in it is today in like the Spanish languages. It was decided to drop the Hebrew A in completely and replace it with the final Greek stigmas, which most often indicated the masculine gender in the nouns. So then we go to the, proto, uh, the protocol of the New Testament, changing... Um, uh, Mashiach or Mashiel, Mashiah to Messiah. I'm sorry, I can't pronounce it either. So it gives you like an understanding of how I still am trying to learn this, and I have trouble learning it. You know, and 
we look at it and then we're so used and accustomed to the language that we are speaking and the language that we have um, read it in that we have kind of devolved from the actual language which we could learn uh, essentially God get, you know gave us the power to learn um, you know I, I actually wonder is if we were still in the Garden of Eden and we were all born in the Garden of Eden and stuff and none of the sin happened if we would all be speaking you know, Hebrew or the Hebrew or Aramaic uh, languages. But throughout the Roman Empire, Yeshua had become the Greek name Isis, or um, they pronounced it Jesus, or, you know, as they pronounce it in Spanish, Jesus. And this remained the Messiah's name throughout the Roman Empire, so long as the Greek remained the dominant language. And then after some centuries, the Greek lost um, its favored position and Latin took over. And this is one of the things that I have covered in multiple different um, uh, sermons of the, the way Jesus' name changed. But it was in the last quarter of the 4th century that the Bible translated from the Greek to Latin by... Jerome, who had been trouble rendering the Greek uh, Isis or Jesus uh, into the Latin, which became Isis, I-E-S-U-S. And then about the 14th century, in the scriptoria of the monasteries where the Bibles were copied by hand, monks began to elongate the word I. Uh, of the words into a J. The pronunciation remained the same, like the Y and yet, but the monks thought a J looked better. Probably the first monks to do this were around German, Germany or the Dutch, because the letter J in that language sounds the same as the Y in English. And, um, as it's seen in their language today, German ja is pronounced ya, so ya is pronounced ja in German. Um, so the name Isis uh, evolved into the familiar writing of Jesus by the 17th century. And this actually happened um, as the 17th century, as we all know, 1776, when America um, was going through its stuff. Um, we had a Bible that came out called the Geneva Bible, which, if I remember correctly, was the first Bible that had Jesus in it. But um, I could be wrong. But as we continue, everyone still pronounced it Jesus. However, as the official um, Latin pronunciation remained Jesus, a copy of the original um, 1611 King James Bible renders Jesus as Isis and Jeremiah as Aramiah. Way back in the 5th and 6th century, some pagan German, uh, Germanic tribes called the, um, the Angelus and the Saxons invaded, uh, England, um, Augustine of the Canterbury converted them into Christianity in around 
596. And of course, Augustine established Jerome's Latin translations as England's official Bible. The Anglo-Saxons learned that the Savior's name was Isis. Naturally, the Germanic Anglo-Saxons converted the initial, the initial Latin I into the German J and pronounced the name, however, Jesus, Jesus uh, since be since a single S between the vowels sounded more like a Z in Ger German languages. Um, so as we continue going through this little history lesson, um, the French pronunciation of J, which evolved into the English of sound of J when uh, the commission was given um, for the first official translation of the Bible in the English in the early 17th century, the Latin Jesus was carried over unchanged into the New English Bible. The average English citizen of the day pronounces the name Jesus, or Jesus which ultimately evolved into the mo modern English Jesus. Jesus. The long process was now complete. Uh, the name that became as the Aramaic Yeshua would remain written in English as it was in the medieval Latin, but now is pronounced as English-speaking countries, the familiar name of Jesus. Jesus. So we, we just, within the 17 minutes, learned a brief history that was um, provided to us. Um, you can find this uh, interesting, um, th uh, you know, part of the article on it um, is on um, One for Israel. It's uh, this uh, ministry that has been founded where a lot of the Jewish people have been can Converting and understanding who the Messiah is and who Yeshua or Jesus is. Now there's people that are getting upset because they're seeing some of the people in there are saying Jesus and some of them are saying Yeshua. Now as we commonly know, English is predominantly a very um, wide, worldwide language. A lot of people know Jesus as Jesus now. Um, I do think it is important to, um, have people understand that the evolution of the language and have people understand how Yeshua has grown through there, you know, um, Yeshua, you know, um, would mean, like, God saves, and, um, they would have, uh, you know, the Hamashiach, or Hamashik, um, as the Messiah, uh, and there's just these different, um, advanced, um, phrases that they would use. Now, there's a lot of people that look into things as, you know, the original Hebrew language, then you have the, um, the... So we have, like, the original ancient Hebrew language, and then we have, like, the modern Hebrew. And we see two different uh, phrases in there, um, which they have the same consonants and stuff, but it's interesting. Um, 
a lot of people say that the cross is a pagan symbol, but in the ancient Hebrew, or the original Hebrew, um, a cross symbol, which was uh, pronounced uh, ta, or tav, meant a divinely ordinated period of time. And if we think about it, um, when we look at it, the cross was a very divinely ordinated period of time. It was the time where the Romans came in, they literally took over Israel and Jerusalem. Um, there was uh, no like there was no winning, and the people were promised a Messiah that would eventually take over and you know have a war and win. But they were expecting a warlord. A person that was going to come that was strong that could just defeat anybody but when we were talking about the Roman Empire they were the, the most predominantly most powerful nation in the history of the world at the time and um, what happened you know I mean they're pagan gods eventually and you know, when Constantine came around, you know, um, I mean, Emperor Nero fell, you know. Rome, uh, yeah, it's still alive today. It's still very, um, you know, you have the Vatican and stuff like that. I'm personally not Catholic. I do not believe in t uh, a lot of the Catholic traditions. I'm not preaching against anybody who is Catholic, but... Um, I do believe it is very important that we know that Jesus, Yeshua, you know, however his name was pronounced in various time periods, is the Messiah and is the one that we need to follow. And if we don't follow him um, in the correct way as the Bible states and as, you know, as God's word has written and given us, then we really, really are going to be a lost tr people, you know. Um, I see a lot of people that will look at things predominantly in their own way. They will look at something that is being delivered to them solely. And what I mean by that, is, by solely, is this is exactly the, the, the reason why I made this message, is that there's people that will literally say, you should be saying Yeshua, you shouldn't be saying Jesus because it's offensive to people that, you know, you're trying to reach. One for Israel, yes, it is trying to reach the people, the Jewish people, but... One for Israel is also a ministry that has been reaching out to numerous people, Jewish or not. You know, a lot of the a lot of the stuff has been big inspirations because a lot of people look at the Jewish people and they're like, "You rejected the Messiah. You rejected him, and you uh, put him on the cross and everything." And whether or not that was God's plan. You know, and I'm not saying whether or not it was God's plan, but I'm saying like whether or not, hypothetically, it was God's plan. You know, it was 
them, the Sanhedrin, the Pharisees, and the Romans that all conspired with each other to do this. You know? And when all this has happened, when all this came about, which was God's plan in the beginning, but when all this came about and all this occurred, they rejected the Son of God. They rejected the Messiah. And I saw so many things in Israel that baffled me, saying that Jesus was no one special. He was just a rabbi. He was a failed rabbi that started his own religion. He was a failed, uh, you know, religious leader that started his own religion and worshipped the cross. All of this has been nothing but heresy because Jesus didn't worship the cross. The cross, Jesus never even really looked at the cross and said, this is my God. No. Jesus used, was crucified on the cross. It's a symbol of what his sacrifice is. We don't worship a cross. We give thanks to him for going through that suffering for us. I've had a hurt back for the longest amount of time. Um, you know, my health isn't the greatest, but none of that is compared to the tortures that Yeshua went through. So, when I see people that are saying, he, this ministry is only addressing this person. Well, no, it's not. Jesus never went to address one person. He did say he came for the lost sheep of Israel, but he preached to Samaria. He preached to Judea. He, you know, he preached to Galilee. Uh, even Ethiopian people he talked to, you know. He talked to everybody. He gave them all good news. He healed, created miracles, did everything he possibly could to help out others. Ask yourself, are you so selfish and arrogant that you are going to take a ministry that will just use one for Israel and use that, or it doesn't even have to be one for Israel, it can be any ministry, and use that specifically to target your group of people? Or are you going to allow that message to be spread throughout the world to be an inspiration to other people of Christianity? other people that are atheists that are now learning about this and they're like, wait a minute. The Jewish people never accepted Jesus or Yeshua before, but now they're all seem seeming to be awakened spiritually by this. And then they're looking into it and they're reading into it and all this, like, they're feeling like this sensation where they want to learn more. God doesn't work in small pictures. He works in big pictures. I'm going to give you an example. I talk about this book a lot, the book of Job. The book of Job was about one person that lost everything. And he goes to his three friends. And his three friends are condemning him for being a sinner. 
and that one that one moment God speaks to him and when he speaks to him he explains it and all of a sudden Job understood that God was giving him a lesson not only did Job remain diligent and loyal and faithful to God and didn't curse him but showed the arrogance and the true colors of his friends saying that Job, uh, Job was a sinner now if Job was a sinner they're judging him before God judged him and God didn't like that but God forgave them in that whole book, you get this from a perspective of one person that spread out through thousands of millions of billions of people to understand that God can give, God can take away. God is forgiving. God need, uh, there, there's even a point where he said that I need a mediator to talk to God. A mediator. Let's think about that. Isn't Jesus our mediator for go to the Father nobody can come to the Father except through me this is a one little story that explained so much and inspired so many people and it wasn't just the Jewish people it was the non-Jewish people it was everybody one message in the Bible can be a hundred messages to a hundred different people I want you all to remember that. Thank you all for joining. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter at MinisterMartyr. You can email me, MinisterMartyr at gmail.com. And you can follow my website if you wish. Um, thank you, and God bless you. Have a great day.